and we are live from the empire of lies, an oasis of free speech and open discussion in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is Backstory. Well, Rod, our producer, Rod from Philly, we met you another Friday, have we not? Thank God. Yeah. Now, the the big event for the Democrats last night was a primetime unveiling of the Democratic case against humanity and citizens for January 6th, and the case against Donald Trump and the Republicans. And we'll be talking about that a lot today. We've got a lot of clips for you. But I'm going to say off the bat, and do you agree with me, Rod, that this was freaking lame? This is, for an opening salvo, this is a spitball. Do you agree? Yeah, I think you're uh, you're understating it lately. This is, this is trash, it's garbage. You know, I think there's a, uh, some producer, I forget what, what station they work for, is supposedly involved with this, and this is the best they could come up with. A highly edited security footage. Yes, and footage that even, if so, they were making a big deal of the fact they're saying for the first time they were showing the Proud Boys connected to the Oath Keepers. First off, so what? So what if the Proud Boys are connected to the Oath Keepers? But did you see that footage, Rod? Yeah, Lee, and, uh, it's, it's hilarious because they're like, oh, and Rico Antonio, the leader of the Proud Boys, the white supremacist group. Well, you know, that's a pretty dark shade of uh, white supremacist right there. It is. And he's got a suspicious name. Uh, but Enrique Tario, it was in a, a D.C. parking lot meeting the guy from the Proud Boys. Like, hey, how you going? Right? Is Am I ma- making it up? It was two guys who met each other for the first time in a parking lot. It was not some scary, you know, it was the first footage of the meeting. And I would say it looked like a hundred other meetings I've seen. Nothing suspicious or scary about it. Am I right, Rod? What did you think of the meeting between Enrique and Lyle, the head of the Oath Keepers? Were you frightened? Uh, <laughs> it's funny, because if you watch the footage, I think that the camera guy's there with, oh, no, actually, I'm pretty sure the camera person's there with Enrique, because he looks, you know, directly at the guy, because he's, he's in a car, so it's kind of like secretive. But I think that's his own documentarian, you know what I mean? So. And obviously he's uh, guilty, well not guilty, he's accused of sedition, so we can't talk to Enrique. But I'm pretty sure that that camera guy was his camera guy. So they make it seem like they were the ones following, you know what I mean, following Enrique. Like they caught him. Right, right, exactly. Now we got a lot of clips, so let's get to the boom. Our guest today, in the first hour, the great Manel Chan, the co-host of Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan, and Manila, we've had we've had Jamal on a couple times this week. So for equal time, we're closing out the week with Manila. That's gonna be great. And then Allison Hayden in the second hour, the congressional candidate who's hoping to run for Congress in Northern California. We'll be talking about election malfeasance with her. So stuff she knows stuff about. That'll be in the second hour. 
And of course, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. If any of you are traumatized by the sedition and insurrection, if you are frightened to death, we are here for you. 202-521-1320. Rod, do you remember the name of our show by any chance? I do, Lee, and you are listening to The Backstory. Okay, I've got a lot of clips, Rod. And really, it was so lame last night. The whole thing was lame. So let's start with Benny Thompson's opening statements. And again, you know, what happened was a bunch of people were protesting. They were protesting, right? And they're protesting, and they went to the Capitol. And I thought it was dumb that they went to the Capitol, but, and then they went inside the Capitol, which I thought was doubly dumb. But was there a coup attempt? Who was in charge of the government at that point, Rod? On January 6th, do I have it wrong? Was Donald Trump not in charge of the government? He was. So if there was a coup attempt, it was an attempt to take over and overthrow the Trump government by date. Am I right? This, it would have been a coup on January 6th, would have been overthrowing Trump. You see what I'm saying? Right, Lee, and that's, isn't that disinformation? Just to, just to uh, put a note, you know, Benny Thompson is going to tell you where he's from in his, in his clip and how many people are in, are in his district. He's the chairman of the DHS, which is also... Nina Jankovic, you know, who works for them. So we're starting to see it all come together now. And he apparently lives, I'm going to, this is a teaser, spoiler alert. Benny Thompson apparently lives in a real racist area because he says in this clip, correct me if I'm wrong, Rod, but anyone will be able to listen and hear this. He says a lot of people in this area defend the Ku Klux Klan and the Civil War. Does he not say that? Yeah, and it, it makes you wonder, how does he keep winning, you know, his, ele- his election to Congress? Then, you know what I mean? That's what I was thinking. What, do you know anyone, I don't know anyone who defends the Ku Klux Klan. Do you know anyone? Have you ever heard of anyone? Now, I'm serious. You remember one person say, no, the Ku Klux Klan was okay. I like their outfits. The Ku Klux Klan were great. I don't hear that ever. Do you? Uh, not in a serious manner. You know, obviously, someone's like joking or whatever, but not like a serious historical manner where the people, you know, followed it to the T. No, I never, never heard that. But Benny Thompson knows a lot of people who do. He goes to a local barbecue place. He says he lives halfway between Jackson, Mississippi, and Vicksburg. And I've been down that area. I heard no one defending the Klan. No one. Had good soul food at Bully's Barbecue, right down the street from Megger's house. But I heard no one defending the Klan. But Benny Thompson knows a lot of people. He goes to Piggly Wiggly. It's bring your sheets and safe 
50% on ham hocks. Apparently, they got a discount. And by the way, before we get to this clip, did you see the new inflation information today that came out? No, I saw a lot of it, so I, I don't know which exact piece you're talking about. Man. Well, the numbers came out, and they're 8.6%. It's the highest rate of inflation in 40 years again. That's and what I was about saying, to say. Did, yeah, did that already happen? We had Mark on and talked about that, so it's 40 years every, you know, two months, 40 years high? It seems every month it's 40 years. And they're saying meat is up 20%, and eggs are up 33%. So if you're going to Piggly Wiggly and they give you a discount if you bring your sheets, bring them. Have you seen that kind of price increase when you shop, Rod? Yeah, yeah. you know, I try sometimes, you know, I, I get, I'll get a steak from the butcher shop and, you know, a nice size steak now is, you know, double, double the price that it was a year ago. So it was like, you know, for, just for one good size steak, like $35, $40. No, exactly right. And this is stuff that real people deal with. Prices at the grocery store and at the pump. Let me point this out. Once again, it's a higher... Gas keeps going up every day this week. Have you noticed that? Every day, gas is more expensive by a penny or two. It's now over $5 a gallon nationwide. What are you paying in your area, Rod? Oh, right at five dollars. But I don't even get regular anymore because I don't, you know, just my superstition. But since they're putting more ethanol in the gas, which is you know corn, you know, I go for the you know whatever the medium is, whatever it's called on the gas pump. Yeah, probably smart. Probably a smart move. I wonder if other people are doing that. But the price on regular has gone up too, right? It's it's five bucks a gallon for regular, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. And so let me get to Tyree first, and then because I want to start playing these clips, because I got a lot of them. 202-521-1320. Tarif, what's on your mind? Thank you all for taking my call. Um, first, I'd like to say free drilling and science. Have some comments I like to go over. You know, mine. The um, Bank of Russia lowered the interest rates from 11% to 9.5. The ruble is now 57 to the U.S. dollar. China, they came out with a warning, saying basically saying if if the United, I mean if the, um, Taiwan declares independence. China would not hesitate to start a, a war if Taiwan declares independence. About the first point you mentioned, let me just mention, the ruble, you seen this, Rod? The ruble is the healthiest currency on the planet. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw Putin talking about it uh, yesterday. I saw a clip of him talking about it yesterday. In fact, the central bank in Russia is trying to deflate the ruble a little bit. It's a little too healthy for them, and they can't do it because everyone wants rubles. The sanctions, and by the way, it's the sanctions 
that have caused the economic trouble, not for Russia, but for the United States and for Europe. Because why would the war in Ukraine and Russia affect global energy prices if not for the sanctions? Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's another thing Putin was talking about. He was like, you know, these sanctions are hurting everybody, but, you know, they, these, these leaders keep uh, pushing them. And, you know, he was, he was actually kind of jovial in this interview that I saw. So uh, it's interesting to see this. No, a, a good point. So go on, Sharif. I just wanted to emphasize the first point you were making about the ruble. Go ahead. Um, Ukraine is running out of ammunition, certain types of ammunition, especially artillery. They're almost out of it. And Poland is suffering from, like, high percentage on food prices, like 30% and 63% of Poles have to cut back on spending because of the sanctions is hurting them in Poland. Yeah. Um, let me see. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's... And, and all, um, Ukraine ec economic troubles is getting worse. But maybe at the end of the year or next year, they probably... Ukraine economy might collapse. Yeah. That's it. I think the thing that would save the Ukrainian economy, thank you, Terry, for great call, is Russia taking over. Have you seen Patrick Lancaster does videos on YouTube? You can find him. Just look him up. Did you see the video that Patrick came out with today from, I, I forget where it was. It was Kursan, I think, about the Children's Fair that's going on in Kursan. They had a car. A car. Yeah, I saw that on. I saw that on Twitter. I didn't see the. Uh, I didn't watch the video myself, but I saw the 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 Twitter, and then it was, you know the, they were having the fun and all that. So I saw the still picture, and I was like, wow, like night I guess, and day. Yeah, it is night and day, and I've seen uh, a number of people. Gonzalo Lira is one of them, an analyst who's out there who's saying Russia's not going to want Kiev. Because Kiev is not an economically prosperous area of Ukraine. Let me say one thing. What he's not counting on, and what no one I see, there's no reason Kiev... Do you know why Kiev's not... Why is Kiev poor, do you think? Because the people are stupid? Because there's stupid or educated people in Kiev? No. They're very educated. And they have a good work ethic. Do you know why Kiev is poor? Because it's controlled by the United States. And because it's at war with Russia. In Mariupol, in the places Russia takes over, you notice what happened in Crimea. When Russia took over in Crimea, it bounced back economically. Did you notice that, Rod, eight years ago? Crimea yeah, is doing... It prospered. Right. And I, I can picture if Russia takes over Kiev and stops the U.S. control of Kiev and is allied with Russia, not against Russia, allied with their brothers in Russia, I think you'll see a lot of economic growth in Kiev. Does that make sense, Rod? Economic growth coming to Kiev? Yeah, Lee, but that's where the uh, the mayor is the puppet, Vitaly Klitschko, the uh, heavy, former heavyweight champion. And he has his brother over there, uh, Vladimir, who's, uh, I guess, like a social media guy, you know, demanding weapons and all that stuff. And 
He's also trying to uh, censor Russian boxers from fighting because of the war in Ukraine. So he's also been trying to do that. So as long as those puppets are involved, uh, Kiev's not going to prosper like uh, Crimea has. Yes, and I really do think that peace and prosperity go together. And as soon as Kiev right now, one of their biggest exports is missiles to kill children in Donbass. That's one of the big things that they import. And I'm going to say get out of that business and get into the business of prosperity and working with working with Russia, not hating on Russia. They also are main exporter of Tiki Church parades. They brought those over here too. But let's play Benny Thompson, the leader of the House Select Committee on the January 6th, I, I, I don't know what else to call it, Rod. If I'm being honest, the January 6th demonstration, is that fair? Uh, They're the, calling. Puppet show, the puppet show. Yeah, so let's play the first clip and see how Betty Thompson kicked this off. And here's a hand. He immediately went to the race card, right, Rod? Royal Flush, the race card, Benny Thompson, opening statement, hit it. Thanks to everyone watching tonight for sharing part of your evening to learn the facts and causes of the events leading up to and including the violent attack on January 6, 2021. Our democracy, electoral system, and country I'm Benny Thompson, chairman of the January 6th, 2021 committee. I was born, raised, and still live in Bolton, Mississippi, a town with a population of 521, which is midway between Jackson and Vicksburg, Mississippi, and the Mississippi River. I'm from a part of the country where people justify the actions of slavery, the Ku Klux Klan, and lynching. I'm reminded of that dark history as I hear voices today try and justify the actions of the insurrectionists on January 6, 2021. Over the next few weeks, hopefully you will get to know the other members, my colleagues up here, and me. We represent a diversity of communities from all over the United States, rural areas and cities, East Coast, West Coast, and the heartland. All of us have one thing in common. We swore the same oath. That same oath that all members of Congress take upon taking office and afterwards every two years if they are reelected. We swore an oath to defend the Constitution. Now, so you made a good point, Rod. And I forgot they justified the Civil War, the Klan, and lynchings in his town of 500 people. But somehow he still gets elected by these racist bastards. Rod, how does he do it? What's Benny's secret? I don't know. I must, he must cook them meals because he's not a he's, a he's a big guy. People haven't seen him. He's a big guy. Then he looks like uh, two Uncle Phils put together from Fresh Prince. No, and he, he he's in this racist racist area. 
justifying lynchings. And the, the top thing on his agenda is what happened in Washington, where how many black people were killed in the D.C. riots? How many oh. lynchings were there? <laughs> Round it off. <laughs> Big zero. Right. And in fact, the people who were killed were the people protesting. Ashley Babbitt was killed by D.C. police. And if I remember correctly, the Capitol Police officer who killed her, if I forget, was black. Did you see that, Ron? Yeah, he did a uh, 60 Minutes clip where 60 Minutes was pretty much justifying for him shooting Ashley Babbitt, and you know, he, he was going along right with, with it too. So, so I, I don't, I don't understand why he mentioned where he's from, aside from the fact that it's a frightening place full of racists. Now, speaking of frightening place full of racists, luckily this is a bipartisan committee, Rod. It's got both Democrats and Republicans who act like Democrats. Liz Cheney, whose father, Dick Cheney, enough said. But Liz Cheney, she had an opening statement too, the Republican. Let's hear from Liz Cheney to see how balanced this committee is. Hit it. Mr. Chairman, at 6.01 p.m. on January 6th, after he spent hours watching a violent mob besiege, attack, and invade our capital, Donald Trump tweeted, but he did not condemn the attack. Instead, he justified it. These are the things and events that happen, he said, when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who've been badly and unfairly treated for so long. As you will see in the hearings to come, President Trump believed his supporters at the Capitol, and I quote, were doing what they should be doing. This is what he told his staff as they pleaded with him to call off the mob, to instruct his supporters to leave. Over a series of hearings in the coming weeks, you will hear testimony live and on video from more than half a dozen former White House staff in the Trump administration all of whom were in the West Wing of the White House on January 6th. You will hear testimony that, quote, the president did not really want to put anything out calling off the riot or asking his supporters to leave. You will hear that President Trump was yelling and, quote, really angry at advisors who told him he needed to be doing something more. And aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. You will hear evidence there... that President Trump refused for hours to do what his staff, his family, and many of his other advisors begged him to do. Was Mike Pence ever in danger, Rod? <laughs> no, he was in danger. No, and, and so I want to be clear. Mike Pence was never in danger. And if some knuckleheads were chanting, hang Mike Pence, I don't, I, I didn't see anybody making any moves to get Mike Pence. 
Did you? No, I didn't see that, Lee. And the, she she puts up Liz Cheney puts up a tweet where she's reading she's reading Donald Trump's tweet, which we can't see anymore since he's kicked up Twitter. But in the tweet, she doesn't read the last part where he tells people to go home peacefully. And this whole thing is the fact that they they they're saying Trump inciting a riot, but he tells people to go home peacefully. Yes. Now, I'm going to play this next clip pretty quickly because this is kind of the centerpiece of their case. It's an interview with a person who's on a committee who investigates stuff. And this is so lame. I want you to hear it for yourself. This is about five minutes. I'm going to play the thing uncut in its entirety, the five-minute chunk. But this is the Democrats' case against the seditionists, what they call them. Let's go to that, and then when we come back, we'll have a minute or so, and then we'll go to bring them in on Shan. But let's hear this centerpiece of last night's presentation. Hit it. Marcus Childress, and I'm an investigative counsel for the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a White name. White and right proud boys. Proud boys. Stand back and stand by. Uh, after he made this comment, Enrique Terrio, then chairman of the Proud Boys, said on Parlor, standing by, sir. During our investigation, we learned that this comment during the presidential debate actually led to an increase in membership from the Proud Boys. Would you say that Proud Boys numbers increased after the stand back, stand by comment? Exponentially. I'd say triple, probably. With the potential for a lot more eventually. And did you ever sell any stand back and stand by merchandise? Uh, one of the vendors on my page actually beat me to it, but I wish I would have. I wish I would have made a stand back, stand by shirt. On December 19th, President Trump tweeted about the January 6th rally and told attendees, "Be there, will be wild." Many of the witnesses that we interviewed were inspired by the president's call and came to D.C. for January 6th. But the extremists, they took it a step further. They viewed this tweet as a call to arms. A day later, the Department of Justice describes how the Proud Boys created a chat called the Ministry of Self-Defense Leadership Chat. Uh, in this chat, the Proud Boys established a command structure in anticipation of coming back to D.C. on January 6th. The Department of Justice describes Mr. Tario coming into possession of a document called the 1776 Returns, which describes uh, individuals occupying key buildings around the United States Capitol. The Oath Keepers are another group that the committee investigated. You better get your ass to D.C., folks, this Saturday. Yeah, if you don't, there's, there'll be no more republic. But we're not going to let that happen. It's not even an if. It's, it's either President Trump is encouraged and, and bolstered and strengthened to do what he must do, or we wind up in a, in a bloody fight. We all know that. The fight's coming. The Oath Keepers began planning to block the peaceful transfer of power shortly after the November 3rd election. And according to the Department of Justice, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers' leader, said to his followers that we were not going to get through this without a civil war. In response to the December 19th, 2020 tweet by President Trump, the Oath Keepers focused on January 6th in Washington, D.C. In response to the tweet, one member, the president of the Florida chapter, put on social media, the president called us to the Capitol. He wants us to make it wild. The goal was for the Oath Keepers to be called to duty so that they could keep the president in power, although President Trump had just lost the election. The committee learned that the Oath Keepers set up quick reaction forces outside of the city in Virginia where they stored arms. The goal of these quick reaction forces was to be on standby by just in case President Trump invoked the Insurrection Act. 
did VO keepers ever provide weapons to members? I'm going to decline to answer that. I'm going to browse for, for uh, and due process grounds. In footage obtained by the committee, we learned that on the night of January 5th, Enrique Tario and Stuart Rhodes met in a parking garage in Washington, D.C. There's mutual respect there. I think we're, we're fighting the same fight, and I think that's what's important. The committee learned that the Oath Keepers went into the Capitol through the east doors in two stack formations. The DOJ alleges that one of the stacks went into the Capitol looking for Speaker Pelosi, although they never found her. As the attack was unfolding, Mr. Tario took credit. In documents obtained by the Department of Justice, Mr. Tario said in an encrypted chat, make no mistake, and we did this. Later on that evening, Mr. Tario even posted a video which seemed to resemble him in front of the Capitol with a black cape, and the title of the video was Premonition. The evidence developed by the Select Committee and the Department of Justice highlights how each group participated on the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. In fact, the investigation revealed that it was individuals associated with the Proud Boys who instigated the initial breach at the Peace Circle at 12.53 p.m. Within 10 minutes, rioters had already filled the Lower West Plaza. By 2 o'clock, rioters had reached the doors on the West and the East Plazas. And by 2.13, rioters had actually broken through the Senate wing door and got into the Capitol building. A series of breaches followed. At 2.25 p.m., rioters breached the East Side doors to the Rotunda. And then right after 2.40 p.m., riders breached the east side doors near the Ways and Means room. Once the rioters infiltrated the Capitol, they moved through the crypt, the rotunda, the hallways leading to the House chambers, and even inside the Senate chambers. So that's the centerpiece of the January 6th committee. When we come back, let's take a short break. When we come back, the great Manila Chan from Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan will be our guest, and we'll talk about it with Manila and play some more clips here on The Backstory. Back in the back story, in the Empire of Lies Capital, you can catch us on the radio at 105.5 FM, AM 1390. We're joined now from Fault Lines with Thomas Chan, Minel Chan, the great Minel Chan. Hey, Minel, how you doing? Hey, Lee, thanks for having me on. It's always fun to be on your show. It's always fun to have you. And are you ready for the weekend? Oh boy, am I. It was a long week for me because I was basically flying solo because Jamaro was at the Summit of the Americas, which was also a big sham. You know, that was, besides the sham happening on Capitol Hill, the big sham uh, at the Summit of the Americas. So it'll be nice to unwind this weekend and have Jamaro back in because uh, I don't know yeah. how you do it. 
so many hours well, by I'm, yourself. No, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. And uh, we had Jamal on a couple times, and I'll talk to you about that in a second. Because let me just first, you're from Southern California, right? I am. I'm from Los Angeles. Now I, I'm I'm double checking. I was trying to give Jamal meal advice, and I said because he's downtown in downtown LA, I told him mm -hmm. to head to Koreatown for some of the best Korean food in the country. Was that good advice? Yes. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I can think of like my my favorite twenty four hour place is a place called BCD, and you will have a whole table, a feast fit for a king for like twenty dollars. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So I I double checked with John yesterday. He said I I don't want to steer Jamal wrong. You know what I'm saying? I'd feel guilty if I said go someplace and it's lousy. So I'm glad you agree with my meal advice. But we'll talk Absolutely. about more stuff about the Summer of Americas in a second. Now, I might have frightened you because I played a clip. When you come on to wait to get on the show, I was playing a clip from last night. And the House Select Committee on January 6th. And I'm being facetious, of course, because did you hear any of the clip that I played right before the break? I did, but I also watched as much of it as I could stand last night. So I saw a lot of it. So I'm just asking, what the hell were they talking about? They spent a lot of time in the clip talking about whether they made a T-shirt that said, stand back and stand down, right? And <laughs> that tripled Proud Boys. And I kept asking myself a simple question. Who freaking cares? Why does that matter? Stand back and stand down. Do you have any explanation for me at all? Oh, it's, it's, it's idiocy, Lee. I mean, this is Capitol Hill's version of acting like they're doing something for the American people because we have just come out of this two-year pandemic and nerves are frayed. Um, the Democrats are in for, you know, the uh, an awakening this November. I have other choice words for it, but I'm not going to use them. But I think they're in for a really rude awakening this November. And they're using the Jan 6 show trial because some somebody, one of their consultants somewhere at one of these think tanks, like I don't know, the, the Lincoln Project or something, is telling the Democrats that this is the right way to go to save your ass in November. I personally don't think it will, but they have nothing else, Lee. They have nothing else to run on or to talk about because the economy is in shambles. We started with you know, an incoming President Biden with you know, uh, preaching build back better. Well, it's been a year and a half, and he built back broke. Everybody's broke. We can't afford gas. Babies don't have formula. They, I, this is a distraction. They don't have anything else. So the best they can come up with is the stuff that happened on January 6th. I mean, they've arrested all of these people. Most of these people have gotten arrested and then let go. Very few people have actually had charges 
brought and, you know, are being sentenced for anything. I mean, unless you're the, you know, the QAnon shaman, um, which I think he got the short end of a stick here. Um, But when you have the weight of the U.S. government against you, uh, effectively for being a Trump supporter, uh, how are you going to fight the U.S. government? Even if you fought because you were you know, you were innocent of whatever charges they're bringing, bringing against you, they, they don't even need you to plead guilty. It'll be enough for you as average Joe Schmo to go broke spending your life savings and trying to defend against the U.S. government and the charges they're bringing against you. Um, that's enough for them, right? So one way or another, they're going to get you. So either you're going to plead out and you're going to take these charges and and take the arrest and then go to jail, like QAnon Shaman. Um, Or if you have the means, which most people don't, you're going to fight the U.S. government and go broke trying to prove your innocence. So, you know, this this is what they're doing now is they're they're persecuting the, I would say most people who were, worst case scenario, trespassing, on Capitol Hill. Um, where are the, you know, where is Ray Epps? Why haven't they questioned him? Why haven't they brought him before the committee? Why isn't he sitting in front of the eyes of the press? Where are people like that? Where are the people that actually did the harm? Where are the people that actually, you know, made off with, I get it, you steal Nancy Pelosi's computer, okay, I get why you would have some kind of charge against you. But everybody else that they're bringing, um, quote unquote, to justice, are, are people that, worst case scenario, they were trespassing, right? And I get there were some people that were violent and those people, yes, they, they should face some charges because har- physically harming another person is against the law. Um, but by and large, I don't, I don't think there's a there there here. This is, I mean, when you see the, the trial of Michael Sussman, who clearly did lie to the FBI. He lied to the feds, right? He gets off scot-free because he's got the power of the Democrat, the DNC behind him. He's got that kind of money behind him. But then you see this, I, I don't I don't even, I don't know how to describe what I'm looking at. What I watched last night, I just, what else is new other than footage and it's an orchestrated event by a, a literally a TV producer is orchestrating this whole thing. It is it is literally a show. So for them to hang on this thing about T-shirts is just it shows that the Democrats, along with their number one Democrat leader Liz Cheney, really have nothing to hang their hats on. It shows that they're they're desperate. They're desperate to try to find something because they are afraid of the red wave that's coming in November. Well, let me make an analogy to another event that's in the news, the Ukraine-Russia war. Vladimir Zelensky's team, the, the, the head of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky's team is a bunch of TV people. It's <laughs> yes. people from his production company. And that's literally true. He was on a Netflix show, and the people managing his team are a bunch of TV people. 
And just like this event last night that was put together by TV producer, Vladimir Zelensky's team managing war are a bunch of TV people. And we're seeing in Ukraine, the Ukraine-Russia war, they, they don't have a lot of great TV people on the Russia side. They just have great military people who are winning the war, right? Clearly, Russia is winning. And even it, Ukraine's kind of admitting it. They're admitting now that 200 soldiers a day, Ukrainians are dying. And that's probably mm -hmm. almost certainly a lowball estimate. So, and they're continuing to say, well, they're fighting bravely, but they're not saying they're winning. So while Russia is going ahead with military operation and defeating Ukrainians, Ukrainians have been trying to play a media game. And I must say, like the January 6th hearing, the media game is not going to succeed. What I'm going to say is people are paying five, six bucks a gallon for gas in the United States. If, even if they try to blame Putin for the high gas prices, people will go, I think the war was a mistake. People already think, in polls I've taken, a majority of Americans think the sanctions have hurt Americans more than Russia. So do you think, because we've got months to go before the election, do you think Putin will end up paying at the ballot box for the failure of the Ukrainian war? Minel. Well, I, I think the American people are not as stupid as the media thinks they are. And for all of, you know, at the time, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, for her using the term Putin's price hike, I don't think she was able to pull the wool over Americans' eyes. Because I think that they know that the, that the buck stops with the president. And however, whatever means he has to take to bring down inflation, bring down the gas prices, whatever means available to him, whatever tools he has in his tool belt, we know that he hasn't used them. And I think that's what's frustrating to the average Joe or Jane on the street. I don't think they're buying the media hype. I mean, I think they're, it seems like, it seems like Americans are, because if you go into the echo chamber that is Twitter um, or social media that is curated by people that lean one way, that are also in bed with Hollywood, in bed with Silicon Valley, you see the same echo chamber of how valiantly and great the Ukrainians are doing when the evidence on the ground would tell you otherwise. But basically what we're seeing from this curated world that we're living in, this curated media world, is, is exactly like this show trial, right? It's, it's people that are putting on this show. And maybe they can keep this up until November. Maybe not. I feel like I don't think the Ukrainians can, because I don't think that their, their troop numbers um, 
can stand up to losing 200 or so men per day. And even with conscripts being dragged in there, you know, 64-year-old grandpas being dragged in to fight, you're going to run out of grandpas at some point. And you're only going to have so many 15-year-old boys turning 16 over the course of this year. How much time are you going to take to train these young boys or these old men to go out and fight? It, you need a little bit of training. You know, these most of these civilians have never picked up a weapon in their life, much less you're, you're going to teach them how to operate HIMARS, uh, how to operate rocket launchers, RPGs. That doesn't happen overnight. So I don't think the Ukrainians actually have the numbers uh, available to them to keep going until November. And we're starting to see the media start to slowly, the mainstream media start to slowly shift. Um, but for the most part, I don't, I don't think they can continue this, this show, this whole show war until November. It's, it's just not feasible. The numbers aren't there, and the American public is no longer willing to see billions of more dollars being poured out of our country and poured into the pockets of um, the likes of Raytheon and Boeing and other military contractors and you know the military industrial complex. I don't think people have an appetite for that anymore. I don't think, I think the first three months was enough for them. And they saw a lot of money, good money being poured in after bad. And now these policies have come home to roost. So at the end of the day, as we all know, the buck does stop with the president. Don't care how you get there, Mr. President, fix it. And I think that's gonna be shown in the ballot box in, in November. Um, but now the question of election integrity looms because it was brought to our attention because of January 6th. And when there are films like uh, 2000 Mules that, you know, they're going to say, well, that's, you know, conspiracy and that's, you know, propaganda and meant to meant to make you question the, the validity of your vote and, and meant to keep you at home. I, I say no. I say People have, you know, the right to know that there are certain election integrity questions that are valid. Um, if that demotivates somebody from going to the poll, that's their own decision. Um, but that's something that both political parties that are really, you know, the two sides of the same coin, they, they need to reckon with. Um, but the American people, I think, are are waking up and they're aware and they know that Whatever is happening on Capitol Hill, they don't care what the details are. They just want it fixed. And they're going to show that at the ballot box, I believe, uh, this November. And and I also think, and, and I know I keep saying it's lame, but when you're doing a lot of buildup and you have a primetime community hearing, right, in primetime, you better deliver the groceries. You better come up with something. I'm going to play another clip here. This is Ivanka Trump talking about her father. You'd think it would be an explosive allegation. Right, Manila? You get in prime time. You see what I'm saying? You better have something explosive. Right? Yeah, this is this is not Oprah sitting down with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. No. And let's play the clip of Ivanka Trump and rate this on an explorer meter. Ready, Manila? Here's the clip. 
Ivanka, hit it. Attorney General Barr also told President Trump that his allegations about Dominion voting machines were groundless. I saw absolutely zero basis for the allegations, but they were made in such a sensational way that they obviously were influencing a lot of people, uh, members of the public, that there was this systemic corruption in the system and that their votes didn't count and that these machines controlled by somebody else were actually determining it, which was complete nonsense. And it was being laid out there. And I told them that it was, that it was uh, crazy stuff and they were wasting their time on that. And uh, it was doing a great, grave disservice to the country. But President Trump persisted, repeating the false Dominion allegations in public at least a dozen more times, even after his attorney general told him they were, quote, complete nonsense. And after Barr's resignation on December 23rd, the acting attorney general who replaced him, Jeff Rosen, and the acting deputy, Richard Donahue, told President Trump over and over again that the evidence did not support allegations he was making in public. Many of President Trump's White House staff also recognized that the evidence did not support the claims President Trump was making. This is the president's daughter commenting on Bill Barr's statement that the department found no fraud sufficient to overturn the election. How did that affect your perspective about the election when Attorney General Barr made that statement? It affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, so I accepted what he said was saying. This is a bombshell for you, Mel. <laughs> How do you rate that on a bombometer? Blah. Not even a firecracker. Um, I mean, all she said was that she respects Bill Barr and, you know, she, it sounded like she, you know, doesn't believe that Dominion voting machines are, are, are faulty. But that also doesn't say anything else about her feelings of election integrity, about ballot stuffing, you know, stuffing the box and, and the mules um, that were revealed in the film 2000 Mules. Um, she doesn't that that was a nothing soundbite. And they and mind you, I've worked in television a very long time. When when people when this guy is an ABC news producer, right? When ABC is owned by Disney, when you step into Disney World, you know that you're hearing very particular curated things. Like they've stopped saying, hello, boys and girls, when you walk into Disneyland, right? You're there, um, it's, it's hello, everybody, or hello, Mouseketeers, or whatever they say now. It's no longer, you know, hello, boys and girls for, for uh, trying to remain gender neutral. But anyway, the ABC is owned by by Disney. They are the masters of creating a false world. So this ABC news producer, I don't know if it's news, but an ABC producer is a master at creating a narrative, creating a vibe, creating an environment. So when they chose that particular soundbite of Ivanka, that to me means that was the best they could get from Ivanka. That was the best. Right. Because she really yes. didn't say anything. It was, you know, a big, as they were saying during the Mueller investigation, a big nothing burger. 
if that was the best they could take, they're not going to show you the worst comment that Ivanka made, you know, like the real nothing, nothing. This was the most they can get. And it was still a nothing. That was the most they got out of Ivanka. And I, I was largely unimpressed. It, it didn't give me any new information other than the president's daughter said that she respected uh, the AG and, you know, that she changed her perspective. We don't know to what about about uh, the, Domin the Dominion machines. We don't know. She didn't specify in that soundbite. Maybe she did well, in the also, rest of the soundbite. Let me read a headline from earlier this month. The first a headline, vulnerabilities found in Dominion machines used in 16 states. So I'm not saying that overturns the election. I'm saying saying concerns about Dominion voting machines are garbage is an overstatement. There are concerns, vulnerabilities found in voting systems, I think is something valid to be concerned about. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's not to say every single one of them are crap machines, but for example, you remember when General Motors had the recall for the, the faulty ignitions that were turning cars off in the middle of a speeding highway and car, you know, people were getting into wrecks? That's not to say that every General Motors car is crap, but it does call into concern when you're looking to go buy a new car, you're gonna question whether or not this particular vehicle that you just test drove is gonna turn off on you on the, in the middle of the highway. Right? It doesn't mean every car that GM makes is bad. It's just there's some evidence of faulty ignitions. Therefore, who makes it? GM, therefore, you have concerns. And that's valid to voice those concerns. Now, let's hear the last clip I've got for our people. This is two of the most hated people in media Tucker Carlson interviewing Tulsi Gabbard. And let's hear why they hate them. Because I say what she's saying here is common sense and very reasonable. I'm a big Tulsi fan. But let's play the clip. I like her. Hit it. Is a former member of Congress from Hawaii, ran for president last cycle. She joins us tonight with her assessment. Congressman, thanks so much uh, for coming on. So given everything the country faces right now, both domestically and abroad, why are the news networks colluding with a political party to tell us this is the most important thing? Because whether you're talking about the mainstream media or you're talking about Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, or Congress, frankly, they don't carry they don't care about the real threats that we face domestically to our freedoms and our democracy. So instead, they're focusing on this. They don't want to deal with the real issues that Americans are struggling with every day across the country, uh, increasing inflation, rising gas prices, uh, increasing crime, open borders. The list goes on and on about the, the, the very real domestic issues uh, that we face. And frankly, they've abdicated on their most important responsibility in Congress. 
the one that Constitution says only Congress has, which is the power to declare war or yes. not. So, you know, you've talked about this, Tucker. We just saw how Congress rushed through this additional funding bill of $40 billion towards this war in Ukraine. We are, we are not only in a Cold War with Russia, we are in a hot war with Russia, with Ukraine as the proxy. And there was no serious debate whatsoever about really what the consequences of this bill would be and, frankly, whether or not we should even be in a war with Russia or, frankly, any other country. Manel Chen, anything to add to what Tulsi said in the last couple of seconds there? No, Tulsi summed it up correctly. The Congress has failed us and is sending good money after bad. They need to do their job. They are shameful. Manel Chen, great talking to you. Have a great weekend. Always love having you on our show. That's Manel Chen from Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Mornings on Sputnik. We'll be back with more backstory right after this. time for the last hour of the week of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is a backstory. Another great appearance by the great Minnal Chan. Always love talking to Minnal. She's very informed and nice too. Great parents. Coming up for this hour, Allison Hayden, a congressional candidate running for the primary from Northern California, and she'll be talking more about running machines on the backstory. So, Rod, good appearance by Minnow, right? And I say we got through all those clips about the January 6th hearing. Let me conclude. The summary would be it was lame, right, Rod? Yeah, that's you know what you know. Manila showed <clears throat> her reluctance to watch this because it's just so it's just so stupid and you know look 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 at the how they go round and round in a circle you know that short clip of Ivanka saying nothing right and it, it it was nothing I was expecting she might say just something damaging to her father she didn't even say anything damaging she said she liked Bill Barr and took his opinion into account so what? That wasn't what anyone's charged with. That's not sedition. Do you agree? Exactly, Lee. But it, it does show you how uh, how involved Bill Barr is with this. I mean, there's so many clips of Bill Barr talking. You know, Liz Cheney's always referring to him and what he said. So, uh, you know, I mean, we talked about it, you know, Bill Barr and his father and how this was going to end up for Trump. And, you know, here we are over a year and a half later. And uh, this is their pretty much their star witness. Pretty much would would be the attorney general himself. Now, say owl killers online, and we'll get to him in one second. But before we do, let me talk about it. Makes sense before we bring on owl killer Bilderberg. We've talked about that a little bit this week, right? The Bilderberg meetings in D.C. at a hotel, and no one's getting near it. Now, did you see who's in charge of Bilderberg? 
Who's the head of the steering committee? Oh, off the top of my head, no. I, th I thought it was uh, Jeff Giesey's father, but I'll, I guess I'm wrong on that. So the director of Bilderberg is the director of the CIA. <laughs> it's a man who's the current director of the CIA. That's who's in right. That's who's in charge of Bilderberg. Does that strike you as odd? Nothing to worry about, Lee. It's perfectly fine. Everything's up to board, you know. Don't worry about it. Right. And this is the first meeting I guess they've had of Bilderberg since 2017. And Eric Schmidt helped put it together from Google. Peter Thiel is there who's a Trump supporter, and a lot of people who are in charge of military companies, from big pharma, that's who's meeting. And of course, they're talking about Ukraine. So nothing to be afraid of, nothing weird about that, but this big group that operates in open secrecy. Do you know what I mean by that? They're it's not like they're hiding that, that that's what a meeting is, but no one's doing their job as journalists from the mainstream media. No one's, because their job is not to be journalists. Their job is to be narrative pushers. And they're not trying to get into Bilderberg. But the fact that the head of the CIA is leading this thing doesn't strike anyone as weird. So 202-521-1320, Owl Killer, what is on your mind? Well, so if you're going to talk about Bilderberg, of course I have to chime in with that. You know, when I first started watching Alex Jones before I retired from the military, um, I think it was the Obama deception um, was, the, was the movie that he had put out. And I remember him talking about Bilderberg in there, and that's where they had made the decision in Chantilly, Virginia. Um, both Hillary and uh, Obama show up. Um, they had unscheduled meetings, and no, this is before anybody would admit that Bilderberg existed at the time. And I remember the news covering that, saying that Alex Jones was actually hallucinating outside of the the, the hotels in Chantilly, Virginia, and that he, he's out there just yelling at a building like there was nothing going on. And then probably three or four years later, Matt Drudge actually covered it when he was still in when he was still uh, running the Drudge Report or if that was even the same guy was running the Drudge Report, and then there was no longer hiding it. Now, you, you talk about um, the director of the CIA now be openly being uh, the uh, head of the steering committee this year. There's a—Luke Rodolsky, who um, works for uh, his organization's We Are Change. I'll never forget when Leon—not uh, Leon Panetta, when—who um, was the—General Petraeus. When General Petraeus was the CIA director— uh, Luke Rodol I think it was in Rome, Italy at the time. Luke Rodolsky, uh, when the Bilderberg meeting was going on, Luke Rodolsky ca uh, catches him outside. And General Petraeus takes off running. It's, it's some of the most incredible footage you'll ever see. As soon as he asks him about Bilderberg, he just takes off running. And now, you know, fast forward in 2022, we're at a time where there is no hiding this anymore. And it's almost like they... They're just telling us that they know what's best for us. They're planning out the future, and I I wonder what they 
either they they've reached a point where they don't care what people think or they just can't be they can't be stopped it's one of the two um and with the tech, with the the advances in technology they may be right who knows um the the mechanisms of control that they have and if if people are able to ever you know take back their countries um, you know, it may just be a scorched earth. Well, okay, you, you can have it, but good luck, you know, building a society because everything that we have, it's a, it's a, it's false. The economy's false. Our money is false. You know, our pensions are false. It's this trust that we have. It's a false trust in a system they've constructed where it's just one big scam that they, the world has bought into. And you see when somebody like a Jamie Dimon comes out and says, hey, there's going to be uh, a hurricane, an economic hurricane, how people react to it. So that's all it takes is to lose a little bit of faith in the system, and it, you know, it comes down crumbling. And I don't think we've seen the I, – I don't think we've even come close to seeing um, what's in store for us economically and on, the, uh, on a geopolitical uh, sense that, because – the authoritarianism that came out of the COVID lockdowns, I think, I really think it was just a trial run to see what they could get get away with um, in in Loom. Because it, I think COVID was just one big um, consolidation of power. And you look at who bought up the farmland, Bill Gates. You look at who bought up all the homes, BlackRock. Um, you look at um, the Amazon gains and then uh, like the Walmart gains. You, you look how all these small businesses were put out. I think COVID was just one big consolidation before the final collapse. Now, Alka, let me ask you a question, because we're about 10 days from having David Icke on the show. I'll be interviewing David Icke. So this will sound weird, but understand, I've, I've been thinking about this since you mentioned Alex Jones. When I talk to David Icke, I'm thinking of getting the lizard people thing out of the way, first thing, because I know since I mentioned that David Icke's going to be on the show, I see a lot of people mention the lizard people thing. And it's a way of insulting David Icke in the same way with Alex Jones, you know what they do, the gay frog thing, right? They like to insult guys like Alex by bringing up gay frogs. Alex Jones did say something about gay frogs, but... It was based on an absolutely true story. Mark. And just because it sounds weird, it's true. And I'm thinking of getting the lizard people thing out of the way with like first thing, because I, I don't think it's a central part of what David Icke is exposed at all. And I'm thinking of dealing with it first thing and saying, what's your take on this? Because it seems to me like the lizard people thing is something used to smear David Icke. What do you think about that, Al Keller? I mean, but my strategy. So, I mean, how many times does he have to beat a dead horse with that? What he's he's going to tell you what he said, what he's said probably a thousand times since that. There's some ex, that it's some extraterrestrial or extra dimensional um, force that you know is in, in control of the planet. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I believe in the, the biblical uh, narrative. And I, you know something? I've noticed even on – I mean, Tucker Carlson will even say, you know, now this is demonic. Or he'll have somebody on like a, uh, Jason Whitlock will say, hey, this is demonic. I, 
I don't, if you ever, I, some of these videos I see of some of the protests and some of the TikTok videos, whether it's psychosis or it is, it, whether it is just pure evil, I don't think there have been more distinct lines between what's good and what's normal and what's evil and what's abnormal. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, everything that Satanism really is, is an inversion, you know, telling you that the, you know, the, the goat is, is the reverse of a, a pentagram is the reverse of a pentacle. Um, you know, the, it, the, the arm legs, the two arms, two legs and the head representing a human. It, they flip it upside down, make it a goat rather than a lamb. Um, you, you have well, males and uh, biological males or biological females can be the opposite sex. You know, kids can change their gender. Um, is saying that, you know, the, the January 6th was an insurrection, but all of 2020 was, you know, a peaceful, a, a mostly peaceful protest, you know, just a love fest. So everything that the, the left itself pushes is degenerative and it's, it's an inversion of reality. So whether it's actually real, it's manifesting. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think you can really argue with that. No, and, and in your explanation where I will say, I don't know who will say. I don't know who will say that. I have no idea. I've not heard someone ask him, because I think it's presented as a smear. I don't know what it will say. You, you, you've seen his breakdown of the Galian dialectic. Is there anything more it, when you when he draws the when he shows you the the breakdown and the uh, interwovenness of the system? Can you argue with it? Can anybody argue with it? They can't. I mean, there's so much more that he's that we know that he's right about. Then and that's why they attack with the lizard people thing because it's a red herring that you know you can't prove one way or the other. But you know what you can't prove? You can prove the Federal Reserve. You can prove Bilderberg exists. You can prove they want a new world order. And get, you know what? And you can prove that they overthrew Ukraine in 2014 and sold uh, handpicked government. You know what else you can prove? And I, I don't think it's one of like central points. My point is that the, the lizard people thing. I want to see what he says about it. Because I don't think is one of the central points. In the same way, Alex Jones, the gay frog thing, is not one of, it's not the most important thing to Alex. And he brought it up, do you agree with me? It's not the central point of Alex Jones. It's not even, or it's the same thing with the Sandy Hook thing. It's, it's on the, if you, if you drew out everything they talk about, it doesn't even show up. It's a, a blip on the radar. It's nothing. Right. Right. If you were to ask uh, David Icke to do a systematic presentation of his material, he wouldn't start with that as a central point. And I, I, I know a little bit because I, I guess he is a Alan Ross fan, the British Zen Buddhist philosopher, who I'm also a fan of. And as a person who apparently was influenced by Alan Watts, even though Alan Watts has an unconventional view of religion, by, I, and I, I'm not saying that in an insulting way, he doesn't, but, but still, Alan Watts believes in good and bad energy. No question about it. He believes there's good and evil. And the same way, Ike, from what I've seen, he talks about 
good and evil energy. He's very big in and I, the vibrations and stuff like that. Right. Frequency. Which is, I, I think, is a, a way of saying exactly the same thing without the specificity that Christianity sometimes has. But Al Killer, what did you call about today? Oh, no, I, I wanted – actually, my initial call was um, about two days ago when uh, you had Malik and then Brave followed up um, uh, talking about some of the um, – you, you were talking about the Black Liberation Army and, like, Black Lives Matter. Now, I, I want to say something that I think um, – where where I think that they – Every like I I I know Brave uh, hits on it. I think that some of the tactics that were used because let let's be honest, uh, like I I sent you the video of Afina Shakur telling you that or a- admitting that she had told people to kill their parents and how she had become a, a reborn Christian. So there was that there was that um, that uh, element in the uh, '60s uh, political movements in the United States. But I think well, you can't ignore the COINTELPRO um, aspect of some of the stuff that went on. And I'm not saying Huey Newton or people like that were set up by the FBI, but they that definitely played a part. And I think we see it from a conservative standpoint with what the FBI did to President Donald Trump. And I think what I think is separate issues. And I got to go because I got to take brave. It's online. But they're separate issues. Huey P. Newton was a murderer. He killed a prostitute on the streets of Oakland. He's a murderer. He's a murderer and a drug addict. And the cops were targets for the Black Liberation Army and for the Black Panther Party. And they killed innocent cops who had done nothing. And they they walked up to him and launched a bomb at them or shot them not in self-defense, but sitting there on the streets. They're separate issues. And and I'm adamant about that because the way the Black Panthers have been used by the deep state is to deny what the Black Panthers knowingly did. But good call, Al Keller. Always a great call. Great talking to you. 202-521-1320. Now we're just talking about them. Brave, what's on your mind? What's going on, Lee? Man, Outkiller is always on point, man. I um, I, I was actually only just listening until he brought up the um, we got talking about David Ike and he was and he was talking about the um, the lizard people and, get, and getting into the uh, the Satanist part um and the, and the demonic embolisms and things of that nature. I was talking to uh, Malik um just last week and or maybe earlier this week. I don't know my days blend together, but um, it, it's it's. He brought up a point about um, demonic imagery and the, uh, hermaphro- the hermaphrodite um, aspects of some of the demonic imagery and stuff. And I, th- I think that's um, very important when we consider, when we're talking about, when we're talking about some of the demonic things that we see coming out of the elite um, the elite culture and, and the ruling class. I- I'll just say that because I really don't want to get caught up with the left and the right, because um, I, I just I don't see that they're any different. Uh, now, having said that, obviously I'm not referring to people like regular working everyday people who consider themselves Democrats or Republicans. Just working Joes, man. When I'm talking about when I when I refer to Democrats or Republicans, I'm typically talking about Repub- the, the elite class, the ruling class. That's only really really that's the only portion of it that matters, right? Um, concerning David, I I, I don't. 
personally, because uh, certain things I am a. Wait, 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 one second. Brave, Brave, let me ask you a question about something cultural before we go on, because it's germane to what you just said. What's your opinion of NASDAQ? NASDAQ as in trading? As in the rapper artist. NASDAQ. Little Nas X. Little Nas X? Yeah. The little Nas X, yes. I'm not, I'm not really a fan. I'm uh, happy for his success. He can do what he does. For one, that's way out of, outside of my generation, right? And then um, being being a, a, a hip-hop head myself and, a, and a, I guess you could say a retired MC, like maybe. I, I'm, I'm not, Lil Nas X is not really my, uh, it's not really my bag. And I, and I also don't like, to be quite honest, I don't like um, the imagery. If, if I, I'll just say that. I don't like the imagery because I feel like there's a, and I don't, and I don't, I don't believe that it's I, I won't go so far as to say that it's purposeful on his part, but there's a long history of corporate America uh using the talent of these young musicians, especially when it comes to uh rap, to uh to um produce images and, and to guide the culture of young black men. You know, and, and young black women as well. So no, I'm not a fan. I'm not I'm not a fan. And that's not to say that he's not and- talented, I'm just not a fan. But I don't see how uh, it's that it's not accidental. The one imagery from his music videos that's combining gay porn and Satanism—that's pretty not subtle, would you say? Well, to be fair, I don't have. A, this is this is going to sound hypocritical. I don't have a. I don't even necessarily have a problem with the Satanism or. I'm a Marilyn Manson fan, you know what I'm saying? So I can't say that I'm, that someone shouldn't um, get into the, to the religious aspects. I just, I, I, as a black man, I, I feel that there's a concerted effort to um, to remove the masculinity. Not not only not to, to remove masculinity, period, but especially there's an attack on it, in my opinion, within the black community. I, and I think I think it's a furthering of destroying our families, right? And destroying um, just our, our black men in general. I, I firmly believe that. Um, so yeah, I, I'll say that. And and on that point, I have to also say that um, I hear I hear what you're saying, and, and I, I heard your points about the Black Panthers, and I get that you're adamant about it, and I know your reasons why, and I and I'm and I don't think that they're they're invalid. I just say I'll just say this: those are our heroes. You know what I'm saying? And I never hear anybody rail about the uh, founding fathers and and stick, stick on a point of. The slaves they own. Because which are which are the founding fathers? Name the one that shot a hooker. Name the one that shot a seventeen-year-old. And I'll even say, white American colonials hooker. Name the one that that tortured to death one of their own, as the Panthers did with Alex Rexley. They tied him to bed and threw boiling water on a brother. That's what they did to one of their own Panthers. And Bobby was there. In New Haven. I get that. Right. And so without making light of that situation, I'm just saying, because, because again, I'm not saying that it did not happen. I, I just say that it's not an invalid point to bring to bring up. What I am saying is I do not hear when we refer to the founding fathers, the earlier presidents, the colonial settlements, none of, any of that stuff. You, you don't hear about you don't hear criticism of the founding fathers. What are you listening to? I really want to know that. What are you listening to, Brave? I, I hear criticism of the founding fathers and hatred for the people who were overthrew the colonies 
every day. I hear that every day on every TV network. What are you saying? You don't hear that. But I'm saying, name the time Thomas Jefferson was drunk on Gavassier and shot a hooker to death. Name a, name a time that they tortured one of their own, like they did to Alex Braxley. Where's that happen? Again, I will do you one better because, again, I have not said that your point was invalid. I will do you one better. I will ask you to name that. I will ask you to name a time where Je Jefferson and other slave owners did not abuse their slaves. That's the point that I am making. I am not saying that your point is invalid, Lee. I am so you stand on that. So I, I, I hear lies. I hear lies about Jefferson. The Sally Hemings thing, for instance, I've looked into that. Apparently, there's no proof of that whatsoever. It's just a lie that's told about him. I don't know. So, s slavery is inherently wrong. But I don't know. But slavery was not exclusively a black phenomenon. You're aware of that, right? What is that? But what is that? That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point that I was raising, Lee. My, my point is that and again, when I say I don't hear that, I don't mean like in, in, in the history of communication. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in the context of um, raising this group as because, I, because I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm speaking to you, right? I'm speaking to you about this particular show, right? And this particular, and let's just say this particular network. And because I, I favor this show, I favor this network. I appreciate the work you guys do, right? So I'm, I'm not going to talk about what, like, say I don't hear that on CNN. Obviously, you hear all kinds of bullcrap on CNN, whether it's to you, whether it's agreeable or disagreeable, right? I don't even consider that stuff valid, right? I'm talking about valid conversations from, from people that I respect and appreciate. You, you, you see what I'm saying as far as um, resources and, and um, of information. So having established that, what I'm saying is that I understand the validity of the point that you are making concerning the Black Panthers, right? What, and, but what I'm saying is you stand on a hill to make that point about those wrongs. But when, when speaking of, and even guests that you brought on, if speaking of the founding fathers, you're not making that underlying point about the, the wrongs, the horrible wrongs. I mean, yeah, we can say slavery was wrong, right? But let's get down to it. Slavery was more— Did the founding fathers invent it? Was slavery practiced on every country, including Africa? Was slavery practiced at the time in the African continent? Was murder practiced on every continent or just America? No, no, but was slavery— Practice at every time. You're asking me. That's the equivalent it, of the question you're asking me. You, because you bring up the point that, that they shot and killed a, a prostitute. That's murder, right? So then, so for you to for you to ask me that question, was slavery on other portions of the continent? Then I can ask you the equivalent, and we would, and neither of us will get anywhere in this conversation because then I ask you the equivalent question of, well, was murder, uh, was murder being? No, but but you're talking about an institution, the institution of slavery existed I, no, no. independently i'm speaking right specifically of the uh, no, I'm speaking specifically of the acts of slave owners murdering raping their slaves and and i'm and i'm not okay was that a, Let me say, was that was slavery as an institution practiced on other continents and was it historically within a context because what i see is that we there were lots of things that were acceptable at one point and then became out of favor and that's why she happened and right, but here, for instance 
Oh, wait, hold on, Lee. If you're going to say that, you got to consider this. Because slavery was not just, you know, go work in the field and not get paid. Slavery was rape. Slavery was killing, murder. Slavery was brutality. Those things are still practiced. And are still- oh, so you're saying they had nice slavery in the African continent. That's where the slave trade came from. You're saying that they had nice slavery over there. There was no rape. There was no murder. Mm, I, I think that you are sidestepping the point that I am raising because I am not taking on slavery as a whole. What I am saying in what I am saying. I know you're not. It's raised. That's my. What I- that's my point. You're not taking on slavery as a whole. I'm willing to accept. For instance, women didn't have the right to vote. But at the point when the founding fathers were in history, there were things people didn't have the right to vote. There was no democracy. There was no what, what we had for centuries. We had divine right of kings. That was normal. And I, I refused to treat one continent specially because they didn't invent it. Let me ask you a question. Again, I'm not asking you who invented slavery. Let me ask you a question. Let's take let's take Thomas Jefferson for for uh, just for example, right? And let's just go off the let's just for the moment because you may disagree. Let's just go for the moment of the thought that he did have slaves. He did have a slave woman that he was uh, infatuated with, raped and and and, and hunted. I don't I don't know that. I don't know that. Okay. And neither do you. For let's just let's just say I, I do. Let's just say for the moment, and you can you can you can take Thomas you can take Thomas Jefferson and replace him with with Jane with with John Doe if you would like, right? So we further the conversation. But still, let's just say we have a we have a slave owner who owned slaves, right? Let's just say that slave owner killed a slave, murdered a slave, right? Is he a murderer? Because if he killed another white man, like his neighbor, he will be considered a murderer. But if he killed his slave, sure, not sure, a- sure. But I have to have proof that he did that. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is that if you back during those times, if you killed a slave, you weren't considered a murderer because slaves weren't considered people. And so the people, hey, brave, those brave, brave. I gotta go because we're at the bottom of half hour. But a great conversation with you. And if I was yelling, it's only to keep things exciting on the show. You know that. I appreciate calling in, Brave. Okay? You have a good weekend, brother. That was Brave from Atlanta, part of our community of callers. We have a great community of callers on the backstory. Let's take a short break. We'll come back with Allison Hayden on the backstory. back in the backstory from the empire of lies and in the empire of lies in washington dc when the radio 105.5 fm am 1390 and once again i want to thank brave for calling in and i hope i didn't go off on him too much but i like to keep things exciting sometimes particularly at the end of the week our exciting guests our last guest of the week allison hayden Hey, Alison, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Lee? How's it going? Good. So I was talking early in the week about Treasure Boudin, a leftist wet dream, if ever there was one, for DA. Yeah. Daughter, 
the a, a child of uh, Kathy Boudin, raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. Chez Boudin, funded by George Soros, ultra-leftist DA, thrown out by the voters across the bay in San Francisco. You're in East Bay. What do you, what'd you make of Chez Boudin being kicked out by San Francisco voters, Allison? Well, I think coming on the heels of the San Francisco school board ousting uh, or the people ousting school board members, I think that they, we're starting to see the crumbling of this wild, um, very left. Um, actually, it's a it's a it's a skeleton, really. It's being propped up by Soros money, and and this this is not the will of the people. Never has been. Um, as as many people want to call us fruits and nuts, and because of bad policies putting up corrupt uh, leadership that has, you know, under the Emergency Order Act, been able to, um, you know, bring in all the homeless and have the people pay for all kinds of um, programs and things that really we, we can ill afford. And it's making businesses shut down the AB 47 and allowing for felon, you know, what used to be a felony, making it a misdemeanor for thefts up to $950. Uh, small businesses can't stay open. So really you're seeing a crumbling and it's, it's on purpose. And this DA who is propped up by Soros um, has funded all of this, but we're seeing the people fight back and what better place in San Francisco <laughs> So I think it's really proving that it, it was all a lie. It is a lie. Uh, we are not fruits and nuts. There are um, very, uh, you know, America, USA loving people who want stable communities, safe places for their, for their students uh, to go to school and learn good things and come out actually able to have skills and competencies to manage their lives. And um, so this is a wonderful thing that's, that's happening, and I think that structure is collapsing. And it's uh, to, to everyone's delight. It's not any side. It's, I think, just anyone wanting, uh, you know, stable, productive, uh, whole, holistic communities to live in, in safe places are all applauding. So this is a wonderful event. And the elections no. um, are, are going to also, I think, expose a lot of this, uh, the, the lying and cheating that has, has basically girded this whole thing over, you know, since Dominion machines were brought in as early as 2003. And they've been chipping away at the um, election code ever since then. So... Uh, in our own election here just happened, our primary on the 7th, we went down there to watch the processing of all the universal mail-in votes, and they came up with their own set of rules on how yep. to observe. What, what did you, I was going to ask you, what did you learn from watching the vote? Well, what I learned, what I experienced is that they had... Uh, Mr. Dupuy, Tim Dupuy, who is our registrar in Alameda County, uh, has a, a 
a very peculiar position as also being the chief information officer. Well, clearly, that's, that's uh, a conflict of interest because they should be checks and balances. But he is one and the same, so he, he controls the roots, all of it. He came and we went to see, and I went to take a picture. I took a picture of a blue uh, wire going into the wall, internet cable, um, and they, uh, you know, told they ran up and got him, and he came down and said that I would be ejected and the sheriff would pick me up. I, you know, this is, I said, how can you do that? This is uh, taxpayer money, this machinery, and I'm taking a picture of machines, not people. And um, he did back off of that, um, but the observation was, uh, according to code, we should be able to verify. Uh, that's the point of an observation. He, we were too far away. We did not have visibility. Uh, we could see, though, from a distance, which was at least how many feet away would you say from the from how many feet away were we from the people from the boxes for our observation? Um, Ten feet or so. Ten feet from where the from where the boxes were being opened. We we and not we couldn't see what was you know whether they were machine filled they the papers looked like they had never been separated you know whereas when you collate paper that have been in let's say I I voted okay I voted on a machine it spit out of my ballot I put that ballot into a voting box that's what happened in my voter center well each piece of paper would have been touched by a human right. So you would have had separations between. But when they pulled these ballots out of the box, you, it clearly there, no error existed between the sheets. They had never been separated. So that kind of thing. But we were not, uh, according to their, quote, rules. And I said, well, election code says that we have to verify. Um, and he said, well, these are our rules. And in another segment, we were given 15-minute segments in different stages of the process. Uh, we could see we were we were never given enough, um, you know, dis, uh, uh, space. We were never able to be close enough to really see. Uh, the closest I was able to get was the adjudication process. There, there were two women. One was reading uh, the ballot, but the second person who was punching in the remade vote. These were, these were ballots that had been spit out by the machine for, for whatever reason, and they were being remade. So one person would read the ballot to the other person. But they're supposed to verify. She should look at the ballot and, and verify that, in fact, what, it was, what the person reading to her said was true. But she never looked at the ballot. She just went ahead and filled in whatever that person said. Well, I happened to be right behind them, and I saw a vote that went in. She called it for Newsom, and it clearly was not Newsom. It was a, a, a person much further down the ballot. So in any case, um, when I objected, which I am able to do in my capacity as an Alameda County elected member, they refused my objection. I was told by the 
deputy registrar that I would be ejected for the room, that I was being disruptive, um, and they uh, would not let they ignored me and made threats of again of having a sheriff come and you know arrest me or or take me away um, from from the registrar. So they were uh, not only you know not adhering to to the intent of the election code, but they were you know very um, aggressively. And without any any kind of um, intention of adhering to the election code, so this is a big problem. The, uh, that's just on the observation. So that happened. We saw signatures. We were at a distance from signature matches, but we could see from the Secretary of State that uh, they would have on one side the Secretary of State's uh, signature. And then on the other side would be that ballot signature. And we could see very many that had no resemblance, and they would pass, they were just punching them through. Um, so, you know, at every level of the, of the observation, um, even from a distance, we could tell that, that, that things were not right. And they, our objections were not considered, and we were harassed. As I said, I've been threatened uh, with a sheriff's or to be ejected from the room as being disruptive when we were not, you know, angry or anything. We're just simply stating our, the, the fact of what we were witnessing. So that's one piece of it. Um, would you want me to go through another piece of it? I really appreciate being on the show. Let me tell you, uh, the biggest piece of all of this is, even though we observe this, is getting it out. Because, as you know, there's a muzzle on media, and we can, and nobody gets to hear what's going on. And and it's uh, at every stage of uh, trying to get this information out and to get uh, justice and to right the system, uh, where you know they have all those points of of um, media closed. So I was, so, I am so grateful for this opportunity today that uh, you've get, you're giving me to to talk about this. Thank you very much, Lee. Well, we appreciate you coming on, another, Allison. Another piece. And and I hope you bring a lot of Northern California listeners because I am the only radio host who works for Russian Printed Media who is a Chabot College alumni. I went to Chabot College as I pointed out before. So people in Northern California knows what that means. Do you want to hear another one? This one? Absolutely. With just looking at the, at the numbers. So just looking, there is a private, they sell the data, election data that the Secretary of State feeds them, okay? So they sell that data. Now there's a certain amount that they put out. Um, it's called... It's called prime. Uh, this is the primary ballot tracker, and we were able to pull a spike. Okay, so we had very low turner turnout, right? And one of the lower turnouts is the Asian Americans. But um, in in this, not all of it is my direct district. Part of it is, um, but we found a spike on. Uh, this would be May 29th, all of a sudden there is a huge spike in Demo young Democrat Asian voters. All of a sudden there was like a ballot dump. 
of looks like it could have been in the order of uh, 5,000 votes. Now, we're looking at average turn-in votes uh, every day of about 3,000. But on that day, in that particular demographic, uh, there were, you know, it's like a spike of, of around, it looks to be about 5,000 of young Asian Democrats. Now, we did um, pursue this, and we wrote a letter of a cease and desist notice to the registrar, to Tim Dupuy, uh, to the opening of ballot envelopes and the counting of those enclosed ballots from that demographic group consisting of young age 18 to 34 Asian Democrats. And... now, Asia, Asians in, in total are only 2.2 percent of the of the voters in in our demographic area, anyway. So, for to have this one spike on one day is clearly an anomaly. So, we're asking them to preserve all the ballots, the the envelopes, and to stop counting the ballots. Now, they they aren't. You know, it's a cease and desist. I'm not sure there's a legal, um, they can't be compelled uh, legally, but we'll see whether, you know, their intent is to follow the law and to observe um, citizen observations and demands for, uh, you know, the data behind this and, and to ascertain these registrations are valid and that these votes are valid. So, so that's another yeah. piece, a piece of what we are working on here in Alameda County to correct our voter, um, reg, our, our votes, you know, to make it reflect the vote of the people and not uh, some other people that are trying to take the voice of the people away. Now, Allison, have you seen $7 an hour gas where you are in Alameda County, Northern California? Uh, I'll tell you, it. I, I do my gas at uh, Costco, which is the lowest in the market, and I, I recently paid six dollars and thirty nine cents. So I'm sure that seven, more than seven is, you know, is around the hood, <laughs> as it were. Yes, because it's five dollars a gallon nationally. They report today, so it wouldn't shock me if there were some places around there you shouldn't buy it, but seven dollars a gallon. Wouldn't shock me in Northern California. I was going to say we have a, a we're supposed a huge budget surplus, and yet he's doing nothing about gas prices. I mean, this governor has got to go. He's he's touting ninety-seven billion dollars surplus, and he's doing nothing to alleviate this kind of pain on on the constitu on on the people. We're paying this kind of Food and gas. It's crazy. He's doing nothing to alleviate any of this burden on the people. So what have you learned from talking to voters in Northern California that their top concerns are? Anything that surprised you? As a, uh, Obviously, prices of gas and food are a big concern. But anything else that surprised you as a concern for voters? Well, I think, you know, looking at the low voter turnout, that will tell you that people just think it's not even worth it. Uh, I I would say election integrity is is kind of like the silent grumble. But on top of that is crime. I mean, we're just 
you know, San Francisco is over the top and people, you know, break-ins in cars and, uh, you know, we don't even know what isn't reported. That's the problem. If you're looking at all these, you're seeing many shop windows with lease, uh, for lease signs. You know, small and medium-sized business. You can't stay in business if people can just come in and take whatever and you have no recourse. So really, the fabric, the strength of our community is being decimated by the, by the leadership and uh, by these kinds of policies and these kinds of laws. And, and it's time to give them the big boot, which is why they are cheating the vote. And that is why I'm calling, I will call for a full forensic audit, and not just myself, other groups have also. And we have to, because we, that's the only way we're going to restore order and stable communities and safe communities for, for families. Now, what do you think the solution is for crime? Do you think it's that there have been policies put in place that have caused crime? Yes, they're sanctioning crime. They're inviting people to crime, to commit crime. They're making criminals. You know, okay, maybe somebody, you know, people are deterred in different ways. Some people have uh, values, okay? They, they just don't do that. Some people, by their religious conviction, maybe they, they know they'll be judged. So we've taken God out of the schools. We've taken God out of society. Others, by fear that they'll be caught and, and go to jail. Well, if you take away God and you take away or, or any kind of higher, uh, higher power, any kind, uh, and, you're t and you're taking away the legal, the, the, the power of being, uh, you know, judged, uh, going to jail or having it on your record, um, if you take that away, you, you basically are making criminals out of people. And, and I believe uh, that's what's happening because, you know, people that don't have a, a good moral compass just do it. You know, why not kind of thing. You talked about crime making some businesses close, but there are other reasons that California is no longer a place where entrepreneurs want to open a business, is it? I'm sorry, California or the, this area is, is no longer a place where entrepreneurs want to open a business. A lot of businesses are leaving California. We've seen Elon Musk leave California famously. But are you seeing small businesses move out of California because of regulations and taxes? Exactly. Exactly. This, and you, you have to wonder why i mean you you just can't kind of put together this combination of factors because all of them destroy everything that makes for you know wholesome you know vibrant business innovation creativity giving people a desire to um start something new and you know all, Every, every avenue to tamp down innovation and creativity and new business or just continuing a business uh, and growing it, you can't even, you know, the minimum wage laws even. I mean, that is a way that uh, young, young people can learn how to, um, or, you know, 
new immigrants, let's say, you know, start start um, with jobs and learn how to uh, keep a schedule and 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 then go up the, the the food chain of that company as you learn its skills and you know that's entry level is and you want more people at the entry level because you want to bring more people into the workforce. But a minimum wage law, you know, if I'm a, a business owner and I have so much money that I can give to new employees, if I have to pay uh, a minimum wage, that limits the number of people I can I can employ. And that's what's happening. So where I might have employed two, now I can only employ one. So this is, you know, all of it is against uh, building a good labor force and, uh, you know, a reliable, good labor force, skilled labor force is what brings new businesses into a county. So if you are doing everything you can to keep that from happening, then that is why we're not attracting businesses. And then the regulations on businesses and how long it takes to get anything through, which is what uh, Elon Musk was, was talking about. So, you know, all the policies are against the building of, of wholesome, happy, you know, vibrant, prosperous communities. And really, I, I can't believe the vote. And, and let, let me just go to education. If you look at the vote in California for, for the superintendent of schools, Thurman, he got a million five. Unbelievable. With such dismal results and everyone trying to, you know, flee the, the schools, public school system because of how, how uneducated our students are. We're number 44 or 40, depending on where you look, 44 or 47 in, in the company of states, of, of 50 states. And he got all those votes. I mean, it's, that's not even a partisan seat. And you know there's anybody with children, they want their kids to be educated, and they know that's not happening. So you can just look at the vote and know that something very sideways is happening in this, in this primary election. In the final minute we got remaining, how much of a factor do you think illegal immigration is? in the education problems California is having. I know when I lived in Southern California, at an early grade level, they had to separate out because many kids didn't speak English. And so you had kindergartners and first graders having to, be, having to learn the language. How much of a factor do you think is immigration? In the education problems there. Huge one. I've been sitting in on the school board meetings too, and they were are they were at that point reviewing charter schools for renewal. And there was a charter school that actually served a large uh, Afghani and others. Now, this wasn't merely a linguistic problem. These these kids had never been to school, yet they were actually seeing some progress. They were doing a, a, a better job than the public schools in that regard, in terms of getting these kids, um, you know, their, their basic education in, uh, as well as language. And, but do you know what? 
they, uh, even though with all the squawking of the school board trustees, they still voted against this charter, and they voted um, for for the San Lorenzo School District in favor of them, even though the charter was doing a better job. So this kind of thing, it's not just language. It's also whether they've even ever been to school, and then the, the teachers having to take this on and the uh, San Lorenzo School District. Allison, great report, but we're out of time. Fantastic having you on again, and great report on the voting and the situation in Northern California. And thanks to Manuel Shan in our first hour. And thanks to all the callers, Tarif, Brave, and Owl Killer. We'll be back next week with more backstory.